Good afternoon. We are Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks, Jennifer Davis-Page, and B.B. Peters, the co-founders of Boom Goddess Radio. We have been producing podcasts and blogs for the past two years, and we're so proud to have been asked to join the KXCI family. And today we are sitting right downtown on beautiful Congress Avenue in Congress Hotel inside the luscious and luxurious and yummy and toasty and cozy new KXCI studio. And we're looking at the road and the people crossing by and men washing windows and cars driving by. We're feeling so cosmopolitan. It's a real city scene. And our maiden voyage is happening right here, right now. Our purpose behind our podcasts, as well as these shows that we are so eager to deliver to you, is to ignite illuminate and inspire. Those are words that are very dear to our hearts. We love those words. We are looking to ignite curiosity and interest in our themes. We are desirous of illuminating, shedding light on issues and on the psychology behind the issues. And we're looking to inspire action, however it is that we take action. We are wanting to bring you fascinating shows that are both educational and full of fun topics, and we can't wait to begin. Today, the topic is living alone for better or for worse. 27% of American households are one person. That percentage represents 35 million people. 15% are women. Now, my question, ladies, is when do you know that living alone is for you? Is it when you've experienced it and you find you either love it or hate it? When I asked a few of my friends what, what this, why they lived alone, they said that it was so appealing to them and they could do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it without being considerate of anybody else. I was jealous. I think that's wonderful. Uh, One lady told me, she says, you know what, if I want to eat apple pie and ice cream in bed in the middle of the night, I can do that without anybody saying anything to me. And Mm -hmm. um, so that's what living alone meant to her. And I think that living alone means something different to each individual. For some people, living alone is simply not being in a love partnership. It's not actually physically having no sentient beings in the house, no pets, no children, no mother-in-laws. That is the severe definition of living alone. But there's also the perception of being alone, which is fascinating. And you were telling a story, Bibi, about when we asked, when have you lived alone? What was your experience? You had said that you lived alone and there was a roommate, but you still felt alone. So when I moved to Tucson some eight years back, um, the uh, uh, the ability to meet all these fantastic people came about, and 
I have found during my networking processing and all of these years that so many people do live alone in Tucson. And when we asked our audience what is the topic that they want to hear most about, it was living alone for better or worse. So everyone's fascinated with it. It is really essentially a lifestyle issue because it's really the day-to-day that determines the quality of our lives, whether we're we're in relationship or we're not in relationship, whether we have children, whether we're divorced, widowed. It's basically, where are you day to day? What's going on in your world day to day? So living alone is a facet of that, and we are devoted to exploring lifestyle issues. I guess much depends on whether you are living alone by choice or whether you're living alone not by choice. Now, who's the happier of that group? Is it the man or woman that makes the decision that I don't want to get married, don't want to have a companion, or they lose their loved one to death and they're forced to live alone? So, you know, there's lots of ways of looking at at this. I would imagine certainly when I talk to men that have lost their wives to death, they are very eager to find another companion right away uh, and fill that, that love, that love uh, space that they've lost. Also the caring and the, and caring. the caregiving Absolutely. that they've lost. But when yes. I speak to women who have lost husbands to death, they're not so eager to replace that, that, um, that spot in their heart. They're not so eager. Now, it could be because they they were caregivers. They don't choose to do that any longer. So I, I would imagine much depends on how the circumstance comes to you. And I think the emotional level of uh, ultimately coming to a conclusion on your own that you want to change your lifestyle, that you want to divorce. So now it's not a death. Um, but it's a choice that you make, and right, our divorce rate in the country uh, continues to grow. It's over 50% at this point. So there is something about um, living and cohabiting in the same place that wears people out, and they ultimately make that personal choice to move on. It's interesting because that sounds like such a matter of compatibility. So you could be living with another person, and if you're highly compatible with that person, which means the rhythm with which you, you live your life, the values that you uphold, your ability to execute on what you care about, let's say you really enjoy social things, or, uh, or you really don't enjoy social things, compatibility is the, the number one reason that people would get on each other's nerves, lack of compatibility. So everything also has a time uh, element to it. So uh, adjustments that you might be willing to make in a short amount of time for a short amount of time. But if something is incompatible and wearing on you, the fantasy of living alone looms larger and larger. But you know, it's interesting if you if you're in that position, and you cannot financially afford to live alone, that really puts you in a pickle because now you can't, you can't leave because you can't afford to be without that other person contributing financially to the household. So that really is, that's, that's difficult. And do you find that particularly now with people 50 and 
over that idea of that wondering of how am I going to live my life. I know you, Jen, have a really great interest in looking at options, and I can't wait till we talk about uh, the idea of tiny houses and how that really uh, allows the person to retain their individuality and yet be able to afford that lifestyle. And, you know, we we can even talk about, at some point, I'd like to talk about the, the Golden Girl community. You know, the show that came on years ago where you had four women living in one house and sharing their lives and friendships together. Well, that's an alternative to not being alone and having someone there that you love and trust and eating cheesecake at the end of the evening and, and having coffee together. So th- that's another really wonderful way to look at it as, as well. If you can't afford or if you can afford and choose not to live alone. And that's becoming more and more of a common conversation between among women who are over 50. So the varieties of communal living, we could that under the heading of problem solving. One alternative is to be stuck and feel trapped. The other is to try to figure out what the options are. And part of that takes a willingness to be able to share that sentiment with others, to have conversations about it. And kind of the purpose of our podcast or our broadcast is to be able to illuminate those options. Maybe there are, there are options that we've never thought about before. And also, I always um, love how we you know talk about about being receptive and being um, open to learning. And this is so much part of that, right, is being out there and being a sponge that, who's able to absorb the information and the options. Especially when one is in need of the information and the options. If one is entirely fulfilled, then maybe not so much receptive, wanting to leave things exactly as they are. Yeah. And how, Dr. Andrea, would you say, how do we deal with the fear of that, whether it's from a divorce or whether from a a death, that fear of the unknown? What kind of methodology can we employ to sort of help ourselves with that? You know, it reminds me of when I was widowed. One of the first coping mechanisms I had was to make sure I wasn't alone. At that point in time, because the, in my case, the death of my husband was sudden, I had to really stabilize myself. And the way many women stabilize themselves is in the company of others. And you know how I feel about friendship. So friendship first. And I think one of the best inoculations about feeling fearful about being alone is to have a reliable support system before there's an episode, before there's the catastrophe. So, and that takes a little bit of time and um, energy to build, right? Because that means maybe you're not feeling like going out, but your friends are inviting you to join them. Well, wash your hair, put on your little outfit, and head on out there and have a, a beer or a glass of wine or tea or whatever. Make yourself more available, right? What if you don't want to want to be with anyone else what if you want to take that time regardless of circumstance just to be by yourself and you've got those people that are calling you saying just as you said bb come on hang out with us 
and because they think that they know what's best for you. But when you make the decision that I just want to just have some time to myself, is that a bad thing? No, that, that is a real good indication of a high level of self-awareness to know what we need, to be able to say to the well-meaning friends, I'm just not ready yet. I'm just not ready for that. I want to stay home with my puppy. Mm-hmm. I, I just really need time to lick my wounds. We all grieve in different ways, and grief is a part of this process of being alone. So, yeah, there's no right or wrong. It's our own sense of timing that really is the critical issue. Well, that's excellent news to have because um, there, are, there are times that uh, I've been in Tucson now for four years, and I... Um, came down to kind of, I retired and came down to change my life a little bit. And living alone was really important to me because I had never in my life lived alone. You know, once you, once I went from my parents' home to my my marriage and then having children and raising children, and I never knew what being alone was was like. And I used to envy girlfriends of mine who made the decision not to get married or and or not to have children, and they were just going to uh, pump their lives into their career and live alone. I used to think that was so wonderful, and I still do. But um, I was in my mid-60s before there it wasn't anyone that had a key to where I lived. It's so interesting, the different ages and crossroads of life when either we're new in a city, like this is a college town, And we've got plenty of people who've moved here for the first time that have never lived alone, that opted not to have a roommate because they weren't sure whether or not they'd be able to get along with a roommate, or maybe they never had a room of their own. So there are many people under the age of 30 who are living alone for the first time. It's quite different to be living alone at 30 than it is perhaps to be living alone at 60. What I think is so cool is that in one of our future episodes, we'll have live audience members here of various types who have chosen to live alone, either by choice or through death, and uh, we'll be talking to them live. And I'm so excited to be able to do that. But uh, just to bring this a little closer to an actual person that shared some thoughts with us, some really deep um, thoughts, our friend Alan wrote to us and said that, 18 months ago, my wife died in my arms. We were in a close, loving relationship for 21 years, and the excruciating pain has mostly subsided. But there are still moments when it becomes unbearable. As a widower, I'm not invited to too many parties, as this seems to be a couple's world. Those words just tugged at my heart so much, and even more so because it came from a man who could express his emotions in such clear and painful ways. And I think this is really an important point, that a lot of people think that once they're coupled, they really don't have to go out of their way to create additional supports. And so when the main partner is gone through death, divorce, or whatever kind of separation, 
there isn't already that support system. I think the most successful adjustments to change in life, bar none, is having that circle of, of, of friends. And um, women have a much easier time, relatively speaking, than do men. This is a very good example of that. It is. It is. And I just have a couple more of his words to uh, share. And he says, when you lose a parent or other family member, as horrible as it is, your life goes on. When you lose the one you love the most, your life stops. All your hopes and dreams vanish and you are thrown onto a flying carpet circling the world, asking yourself the fundamental questions. Who am I? What do I want? What does life have to offer me? What do I have to offer life? Will I ever love anyone again? And then this one gets me to tears. Will anyone want to love me? Oh my gosh, you know, it's just so heart-tugging. It is. It's the universal question. And really nothing brings it to the surface like being alone for whatever reason we wind up there. And that's to circle back to your question, Jen, about the difference between, in a sense, loneliness, the way some people feel, and the yearning for a relationship with oneself. That's one of the big opportunities and benefits of being alone by choice or coming to that after wriggling around for a couple of months trying to find out where you belong. Well, unfortunately, when when uh, men lose their loved ones, uh, as you said, uh, Andrea, they don't have the they don't have the support system that women have because we've got girlfriends, and they kind of um, are the are the the wind beneath our, our our sails, if you will. Men don't tend to have that, and. Um, so I think there should be, we should talk to Alan about perhaps putting a network of men that have lost their women either through death or they just walked out on them and and, and putting a, a, a team together that can be supportive of one another, a, a guy group that can be supportive of one another. That's because and we're facilitators, right? We're muses for people. We want to awaken their souls, their uh, spirits, their lives. So that makes total sense. And anytime we have a conversation, we always come up with an idea. And here's one that derived out of this particular conversation. So let's put it on our calendar of to-dos because I think that's a wonderful idea. And then let's continue the conversation on Facebook. We have a great Facebook page, Boom Goddess Radio. We invite all our listeners to contact us, send us their thoughts and their stories, whether they are as deep as Alan's or not, we welcome it all. And I just wanted to conclude on Alan's part. And Alan says, I'm wondering why I've told you all this, but this is the narrative of my life and the issues that are on my mind. I love it so when people can be so comfortable in knowing us the way that they do to share at that level. Well, you know, we have a lot of male listeners to Boom Goddess Radio on our podcast, and it's almost like the guys are eavesdropping on what the ladies are saying. So, Alan, we will take care of it, Alan. We will make (laughs) sure that we reach out and 
Are we going to form a group of a, a, a guy, a guy group? Well, maybe we'll put an invitation on our Facebook page and my wish, my vision would be that it really be multi-generational. I would love to have some young men, some very young men, gay men, you know, any variety of circumstance that has put someone in a position where if they had the choice that they could have a warm and receptive group of men, that's they'd be getting the benefit that we get with much less effort. You know, one of my favorite slogans is, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. And you're in the hands of the boom goddesses, so everything's going to be all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about our upcoming shows and what excites us and what turns us on. So, Jennifer, why don't you start us off? What are some of the things that you want to bring to the forefront and to our listeners? Well, you know, we are doing a, a wonderful program on the the uh, National Opioid Addiction Crisis in America. So uh, we are going to be interviewing two women that have struggled with it and have come out at the end whole, which is really a wonderful story that I'd like our listeners to, to know about, that it is possible to come out whole. And I love going into the psychological depths of any issue that we talk about. So what's the psychological foundation and what is the psychology of what's going on in that issue and what can we do for ourselves in the future? And um, Andrea, how is it that you have developed this amazing skill, professionally uh, speaking, that talks to the notion of of following a path. What I know about you is that you enable people to take the leap or take action and create a path. What is it in your training that has enabled you to do that? I think more my experience than my training. And basically, it comes from a place of appreciating what it takes to learn. And if anyone feels stuck or frustrated or scared or angry, basically that means that there's something that needs to be learned. And whatever gets learned gets learned one step at a time because if we can take a step that results in a success, and that could be as simple as a tiny success, then we can build on that success. We all have yearnings, so we really want to support the steps along the way. I love that part so much because I'm personally such a crusader for people, for women who lead their life against all odds, who overcome the biggest obstacle, who do ballet at 92, who lift weights and show off their bodies at 74. Uh, So when you are speaking to that, it is right up my alley. I also want to talk about culture, Uh, the amazing level of culture here in Tucson. On. The artists, the writers, the musicians, the music, and also about becoming a spiritual person, about growing into your spirituality. Uh, I think it's a palette. We're sort of creating a palette of beautiful themes and interesting topics. And I think it's important to our, our new listeners to know that if you have any topics that you'd like us to, to discuss please let us know. You can contact us on boomgoddessradio.com, leave a message for us, and we will address it and 
perhaps design a show around your topic. We love the word design. We love the word designing a show. We love the word designing events. All in the spirit of meeting what the needs are. And as soon as you can express a need, then it becomes something that's crystallized and we can actually take action on it. And so here we are. If we had champagne and orange juice, we would be sipping it right here and now. But since this is our first show, we're on our very best behavior. But just you wait. (laughs) It's like pearls and champagne. And one of the things we decided that we would do is to end our discussion with a little bit of a pearl. And I wanted to cite one of my writing mentors. I never met her, but it's Mae Sarton. And she talks about the difference between being lonely and being alone. And she says, loneliness is the poverty of the soul. Solitude is the richness of the soul. And what she means really is that loneliness stems from a lack in the soul. And when we can give ourselves solitude, then we can feed our soul. For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.